Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. All right. Well, before I preach this morning, I just want to address something that uh, I think is really beautiful that God is doing. In fact, last Sunday, I said, God disorients us in order to reorient us. And there is a disorientation that has happened at Asbury University in Kentucky. Uh, John, thank you for praying for that earlier. It is a, it is a, uh, it, it, it's a disorientation. In other words, everything just kind of just fell apart. <laughs> in a good way, though, because God do, does things like this to reorient His people. I just want to address it for just a second here. I have walked through, I have experienced personally on a very deep level a couple of very powerful moves of God that would be called like a spiritual awakening or revival. And I'm not talking about just attending a high energy service. I'm talking about a sustained work of God. And uh, these things are always marked by prayer, by repentance, by worship and generosity. And then the outcome of it is evangelism. People ultimately come to Christ. Now, Please understand, I mean, what's happening at Asbury University is beautiful. Uh, It's my understanding that they announced last night that today's the last day they're going to be doing that on the campus. They're moving it to another location. Uh, But... uh but this is Asbury University. If you're, if you're not familiar with this at all, just look it up. It's in all the media right now. But uh, Asbury University experienced a move of God like this back in 1970. I remember learning about that even when I was in college. Uh, and uh, and this, this university had this just a powerful move of God. And, and they said that at that time it, 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 it even moved to an, uh, about 130 other uh, Christian universities and colleges across America. But I believe this time we can, let's just multiply that times 10. Love to see that hit 1,300. I believe that God wants to do amazing things, not just in the universities, but in the churches as well. Now, regarding criticism, do not be a critic of what you don't know. And I say, but I see this, or I see that, or this person said that, or that, just stop. <laughs> Trust me that when God moves like this, there will always be some some things that just don't that that people say or do that just looks a little odd. Let that go. Jesus' ministry was odd. Okay, he disorients in order to reorient. And having been a part of something like that before, I'll tell you, people who would criticize what is going on, they've never experienced it. They, honestly, they've never experienced it. Because having experienced something like this, there's no way I can even begin to criticize any of the things that are happening at Asbury University. And uh, so we as a church, as your pastor, I just want to say we as a church fully embrace what God is doing there and, uh, and just pray for it to spread. Because I'd love to see this thing spread. Colleges and universities are a great place for it to spread. And I want that to happen. I want that to happen in our churches as well. So pray for that? Can we just simply pray for whatever you want to call it, revival, spiritual awakening? I don't, the terminology is not important. The power of God is important. When it's all about Jesus and lives are being changed, I am for it. Let's pray right now. God, I pray that this spiritual awakening, this revival that's marked by repentance and and prayer and worship and boldness, this generosity and evangelism, this this deep hunger for God, this focus on you, Jesus, that it will spread. God, I pray especially for this Metroplex. First of all, for Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. God, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. At Christ for the Nations, pour out your spirit. At Southwestern Assemblies of God University, pour out your spirit. Dallas Theological Seminary, pour out your spirit. God, I pray that you'll pour it out in the Roman Catholic Diocese here in Fort Worth. SMU, TCU, God, right here at Texas Wesleyan, at Criswell College, and God, at City Life Church as well. 
pray for this and we believe for this and we thank you, God, for your sovereign move where you disorient to reorient. God, we want to be a part of whatever you're doing, so let it be. And in this church, in our lives, and in our community, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and get your Bibles. Thank you, worship team. Go ahead and get your Bibles and open them up to three locations today. I usually have two, one or two. I'm going to make you find three places. So get your Bible open, do the little bookmarker thing, Bible marker, and, and, and mark those places. That's why a lot of Bibles have ribbons in it. If you don't have a ribbon, well, you know, find something. Stick that in there and then get these three locations. I'll, use, I'll refer to them in that order. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And then we're going to move to Hebrews 6, 20. And finally, we're going to hit Malachi chapter 3. While you're looking that up, I uh, just want to let you know, Tim at 12 this, uh, this week, which is our Wednesday noon Bible study, I'm going to be talking about how to pray in a way to remove spiritual blockage in your life. And I'm looking forward to that. Also, tonight at the Partners Banquet, and, and you'll hear a little bit more about that here at the, the, the we'll talk about a little bit more about that right after my sermon, but, but uh at the partners banquet this evening, you will have the opportunity to, to ask questions and to refer to topics that you would like to see addressed on Tim at 12, because I'll be doing a series later on this year based upon your questions. I did that a couple of years ago. I called it Your Questions Answered, and it was basically about prophecy and the end times, and this is, is wide open, so you get to pick the topic, and, and you never know, one of these, uh, one of these weeks, I'll, I may give you a text or a call and say, hey, your topic is being addressed on Tim at 12. So uh, think about that. I'll I'll give you the opportunity to to share that tonight. And you know what? Partners Banquet tonight, let me really clear. You do not have to be a City Life partner to attend. That's just what we call it because we couldn't think of a better word. All right. But but if you are, if you're just, if you're a part of this church, you you attend church here, I want you to come. Now, now, if for some reason financially it's, you're not able to do that, you just let me know. I'll figure something. We'll figure something out. We, we, I, want, I don't want anybody to miss tonight, so it's going to be a good night. Well, um, I want us to... I've got to fix my notes there. There we go. All right. Well, uh, I want you to know that uh, about once a year here at City Life Church, I address a particular topic. And, uh, and it's the, I teach on tithing once a year, and today I'm going to do that. And now I'll just say up front, if you're a guest here today, I am not asking you to give to City Life. I do, though, want you to catch the principles that I'm sharing and, uh, and to apply them to your life as the Holy Spirit directs. So I want to welcome you. I want you to enjoy this message. Now, also, just, just to let you know, this, this sermon is not about trying to get your money. That's, that's not it. This message is about worship and it's about obedience and it's about the condition of your heart. And honestly, my passion is that every single person will break free from uh, selfish mindsets and, and attitudes and actions and, and that we will be released into the freedoms and the beauty of generosity and being able to fall under the waterfall of God's blessings. And so I want to show this to you in the scriptures today. So the title of my message today is called God's Financial Strategy. Now, this is the the final message in my series called Ready for the Unknown. Now, Ready for the Unknown has been a series uh, about the faith of Abraham. I'm starting a brand new series next week. It's going to be a lot of fun, but this week I'm wrapping this up. it's about the, the journey of Abraham, and uh, he, he ventured into the unknown, and he also, he also found a lot of keys or used a lot of these keys to be blessed that are found in the, in the scriptures. So the story is in the book of Genesis, and, uh, and Abraham, it's interesting, I, Abraham is considered to be the, uh, the father of the Jews and the Muslims by ethnicity, and we as Christians consider Abraham to be our spiritual father. The scriptures tell us that. So he is our father, and, and he, he, is, he is, in a sense, the father of our faith. He is the forerunner. He's the one who was out there first. So 
Uh, you have to understand, though, his, his story is very, very amazing and intricate. At the very beginning of this series, so many of you joined with me in doing a, a little Bible study on the, city, on the uh, Bible app, and we follow along with some of the, the aspects of Abraham's life. So intriguing. There's so much there. I, uh, I, at one time, years and years ago, before I, before I had matured and realized that this long, 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 long sermon series weren't probably the best thing, I did like a, an 18-week sermon series on the life of Abraham. I'm not going to do that to y'all. I'm ending with, with part five right here. But I, I'd go 18 if you want me to. But, but, uh, but we're, we're going to end it with, with this one today. But he was able to walk into his destiny by faith, to walk into the unknown by faith. And, it's, uh, and, and yet we also have to know that at that time, there was no Bible. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. There were no prophets and, and there were no preachers or anything like that. In fact, back in his day, he had, he had originated the, where he had come from. They had worshipped uh, with the Sumerian religion. And if any of you recall any of your studies on that, possibly in school, well, the Sumerian religion is nothing like Judaism. It is nothing like Christianity. So Abraham literally had no context for who God was and how God operated, yet at the same time, God selected him and God spoke to him and he followed the voice of God. So we're talking like faith far beyond anything else. Like if if I feel God speaking to me, I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to make sure. I'm going to have some people validate it. And thank God we have that now in the body of Christ. But he didn't have that. It was just simply the voice of God. And, And so Abraham, he ventured into the unknown, led by his voice. Well, as he ventured into the unknown, he was joined by his nephew, his nephew is a man by the name of Lot. And so Lot and his family and his business and all of these guys, they came along with Abraham. And so they arrived at the land that God had promised to Abraham and, and they, they stopped there. They began to, to set up their lives and their, 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 their flocks just kept increasing and increasing. And God just kept blessing them. And it came to a point where the, the land that they were in, where Abraham and Lot and all their people and all their flocks, and it was huge. They, they, it, was, it was like a city, okay? They, the land was not enough to support the flocks and the herds. And so, so Abraham, one day, he just said, Lot, you, you pick one direction, go that direction, and whatever direction you go, I'll go the other. So Lot kind of looked down and goes, ha, there's this nice, grassy, beautiful area, and it was out near Sodom. And so he went out there into the fertile Jordan Valley and Jordan River Valley, and he just went out there and, and took advantage of that beautiful, nice territory. And he left Abraham there in the Rocky Mountains. Not the Rocky Mountains, but the, 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 these stony mountains, you, Let's just say mountains with lots of rocks in them. Okay, that, that, that would be a little bit easier. So those of you who are, don't, please don't leave today and say that Abraham's in the Rocky Mountains because he's not, he's not, okay? But what happened is, is Lot had moved down there and years went by and there were these two factions, these two uh, kings that decided to fight against each other. And guess who was right in the middle of it? Well, it was Lot. Lot was right there. He was sandwiched in with this ugly war that had taken place. And, and so what happened is he was taken prisoner by one of the kings. And, and, it, and it's simply because of where he lived. He lived near Sodom and he was taken prisoner by these kings. And, the, and so, so what happened is, is Abraham did get word somehow, probably from one of Lot's servants saying, hey, Abraham, uh, Lot, your nephew, your relative has been uh, taken away and he's been taken captive. And it's kind of interesting what the Bible says. I'll just read it to you. It says, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household. So those weren't like his children, but the, these were people who were a part of his group, his, his team. So he 318 trained men. So, so you got to imagine Abraham and his group of people, we're, we're looking at, there, were, there could have very easily been 1,500 uh, people, families, children, women, the, everybody who was a part uh, of this, this group that came with Abraham. So he called out the 318 trained men who were born in his household and went in pursuit. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. So 
Abraham showed incredible mercy to Lot, and Lot did not deserve it. He really didn't. But Abraham, you know what? I, I like that about him. He chose to be the bigger person. And, and uh, I mean, after all, after all that Lot had done to him and the, the way he had really treated Abraham, he still did it. I mean, you want to talk about loving your neighbor? That's loving your neighbor. That's the real deal here. Well, after the dust settled and everything and, and, and Lot was back, uh, we're introduced to a really interesting character at the end of the story, and he is named Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Now, I decided in preparation for this, I like to do deep dives into scripture. Well, I did a really deep dive into the study of Melchizedek and, and I had found myself this week, I had 30 pages of notes and I started looking at all those notes and I know about how much that is. I said, okay, this is a two hour sermon. And so I decided I'm going to share the entire two hour sermon today. Awesome. And you said no. So, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll do the whole two hour sermon. I'll squish it down but I'll make sure we get the main points in there, all right? Okay, good. <laughs> I, just could, I just couldn't do that to you. But uh, see, Paul did that. Paul did that in the New Testament. Someone fell asleep, fell out the window, and, you know, died. <laughs> so that would have been, he got brought back to life, but still, I don't want that to happen to y'all. Okay, look in your Bibles in Genesis chapter number 14, verse 18. I want you to see what is happening here. So, so this is where Melchizedek is introduced. He's an interesting character. Uh, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything, of all the spoils of the war. Um, I, I like this because uh, I always like to look at what artists think this looked like. And I do have this little art, art picture here of, of, of what it might have looked like as Abraham was receiving this blessing from this mysterious character, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And, and Abraham, what he did is he gave Melchizedek this tithe of the spoil of the, of the opposing armies that he had collected. Now, why on earth did Abraham do that? Well, it seems very clear to me that for Abraham, giving the tithe to Melchizedek was an act of worship to God. It was, it was an individual act of worship. It was not coerced. It wasn't demanded. He simply decided, am I going to obey God or not? See, Melchizedek and what he just said, he said, the victory that you have just experienced is from God. Now, from Abraham to not tithe at that point would be basically a denial that God had even given him the victory. So here we have Abraham again showing faith and love through his tithing. And, and this is before, again, the Bible was ever even written. I, I just think that's amazing. He set this principle in order. Now, why Melchizedek? Why? Why him? Well, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Now, he isn't Christ. He's not divine. But we do know that the Old Testament is full of what we call types and shadows. We, we understand how God works by looking at the types and the shadows that are in the Old Testament. Melchizedek is one of those. And the parallels are amazing. They are striking. This is where I would love to take two hours and go into all the detail. But, but I just want to tell you this. Melchizedek, what he did is he greeted Abraham with bread and wine, which would later be Become the symbols of Jesus' body and his blood, which represent our communion today. Melchizedek addressed him, addressed God as the creator of heaven and earth. And then we see in one other place in the scriptures, Jesus does the same thing 2,000 years later. And the, the subject is so important. This subject is so important that Melchizedek is a type of Christ, that there's an entire chapter in the New Testament, which we're going to look at, which is dedicated to explaining the potency of what happened in those three verses we just read in the book of Genesis. And, and so now I want you to go ahead and look over at Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to look at the very last verse, Hebrews 6 verse 20, the very end of that chapter, and, and, let's, and follow along with me. I'm going to start in the middle of it. It says, he has become a, that's Jesus. He, Jesus, has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So 
the writer is pointing out here that Jesus, high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, is also echoing what uh, King David wrote in Psalm 110, which we're not going to get into Psalm 110, but it's there also. Now, we, we move to the next verse, chapter 7, verse 1, and it says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now you might be saying, okay, I I didn't get all that. That was a lot of stuff. Well, I want you to understand that that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers. So the Jewish believers, when they were reading this, they were were getting it. They were like, oh, I I, I get all of this. We may not get it all, but I want to help just a little bit here. See, Melchizedek is the one who is, is, he is a king as well as a priest. He is both. It is a combination of two offices. And that is a very important distinguishing characteristic of Jesus Christ also. Uh, the king of Salem. It's, it's interesting because Salem is the, is the city that would eventually become Jerusalem. <laughs> and Jesus will one day rule and reign from Jerusalem. Uh, Melchizedek, his, his, his next awesome title is King of Peace. But we also know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And then there's this, this other description. It sounds a bit cryptic, without father or mother, uh, without beginning of days or end of life, and then resembling the Son of God. Like, what does all this mean? Well, what that means is that Melchizedek appears in history in the Old Testament with no record of his uh, genealogy. There is no ancestry line, which we find with just about every other character in the Bible. So there's no record of his birth. There's no record of his death. So the point is, is that Melchizedek appears to transcend just normal earthly existence. He really didn't, but he appears to. And that makes him, therefore, a type of Christ because Christ truly does transcend earthly existence. And and Jesus, please understand, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he had no predecessor and he has no successor in his high office. Now, look down at Hebrews chapter seven and we're gonna go to verse number eight, all right? It says, in one case... Speaking of the tithe here, in one case, the tenth of the tithe is collected by people who die. I'll explain that. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. That's absolutely amazing to me. This really is. Okay. See, when you put your tithe in the box or in the basket or the iPad or the City Life app, people who die are going to collect it. Okay, so here, let's just have a little bit of fun. If you are part of our usher team or stewardship team at any point, that means that, you know, maybe you're a part of the team that counts and collects and deposits offerings. Maybe you're part of the team that collects offerings. I just want you to stand real quick. I'm not going to embarrass you very bad. Just stand up. Just stand up real quick. Come on, all across the room. All across the room. Come on. on, Let's let's applaud these people. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. These are secret secret behind the scenes people. Now it's not, it's not a secret anymore. I just got to tell you something. According to the Bible, you're going to die. Now, I'm not speaking that over you. I'm just saying that you are flesh and blood, and you're the ones who are receiving the offerings, okay? Now, just, just breathe with me. It's going to be okay. See, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. So, what that means is that Jesus is the one who actually receives the tithe. Jesus is the one who is declared to be living. So just like when Abraham gave his tithe to Melchizedek, his offering was collected by someone who dies. But it is, what's being said here, it is really though being collected by Jesus Christ. So this is important. When we tithe, you're not giving to the church. You're giving to Jesus. That is a critical, critical component of everything that we see in the scriptures regarding tithing. It starts with Abraham, goes all through the Bible. I remember hearing this as a child, and, I, and most of you know I was raised in church. My dad was a pastor, and, and uh, I, I, lo- I love church. I love, but I had a lot of questions. And, and I, I heard this being taught at some point when I was a child and about, about we're going to give our offerings to Jesus. And 
And I, I was fine with it up to a certain point, but then I thought, well, how are we going to get it up to him? And so, so one day I, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, like the, the men who, who collect the offering, who pick up the offering, do they like go back into your office and throw it up in the air so that Jesus can, can catch it? I really thought that. Like we got to somehow figure out how he gets that. We got to figure that out. Well, no, that's not the case. I finally learned. My dad said, no, but it is Jesus who receives it. It is giving to the Lord. And, uh, and I, I struggle with this a bit, but then as I, I, really when you study the whole Melchizedek thing, it's very, very clear that you give, people who die are going to collect it. <laughs> Sorry. And, but it goes to the one who is living. You're actually giving it to him. And here's what's beautiful is God is the one who receives it. Jesus actually is the one who receives it. And then God's blessings flow back to you. Now, the same concept was taught by the Apostle Paul, and he was collecting this offering from a church, one of his churches that he planted, and it was a church in Philippi. And we see this in Philippians 4.17. Just put it on the screens here real quick. He's talking, this is quite an extensive conversation here he's having with them, but here's just a little part of it. He says, not that I desire your gifts. Again, now that's good, because he, he is saying, it's not that I want to have your offerings, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, he's talking about something spiritual and eternal there. He says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So they'd already sent some offerings, which had helped him to continue his missionary work. But there was more coming in than more needed to come in, but it was for other purposes. He says, they are a, <laughs> this is beautiful. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And then he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, go ahead and flip over to Malachi 3. While you're doing that, I want us, I want us to talk about this. See what Paul is actually saying here about our giving. He first of all says it is credited to our account in heaven. Now, of course, the offerings go to meet the needs of, of the ministry. But to God, he literally says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. That word sacrifice is important because when we give it is always a sacrifice. You know, if you were to take, uh, just, just figure out how much your, your tithe is and break that down into the number of hours that you have to work during a given week to, to give that, to be able to give that to the Lord, well, that would be... <laughs> that would be the amount of time and energy that you're putting in, that you're, you're actually doing all of this for the Lord. And that actually helps you with your work. When you're working, it's like, okay, this is for the Lord. This is for the Lord, because that's, that's really what it is. Now, he says that, uh, that he goes on to say that it's a fragrant offering, it's an acceptable sacrifice, it's pleasing to the Lord. So again, God receives the offering, but there's more. Now, in that, in that same context, Paul also says this, and this is a very often quoted scripture, which is good. Uh, he says this. He says, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Many of you have that memorized, but it's important to not detach that particular scripture from the rest of the context. Like I've shared before, you can never make the Bible say what it never meant to say. <laughs> so this is what he meant to say. He's saying right here, uh, God will bless you. God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory, which is, you know, a lot, <laughs> plenty there. And it's going to do it through Christ Jesus. So, so he's saying that God is going to meet your needs and that's attached to the generosity of, of us giving to God's work. So God's financial strategy is really simple. It's when you give, God credits it to your account and you will be rewarded in eternity. It's also pleasing to God and he promises to meet all of your needs on earth. Now that's amazing. Okay, now, now take a look at Malachi chapter uh, 3, verse 6. There's a prophet in Malachi. It's the last uh, book of the Old Testament. And uh, he says here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, just going go phrase by phrase, I, the Lord, do not change. Um, and that's a very, very, very clear scripture. Our God doesn't change. Uh, God doesn't change between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God does not change from Abraham to Moses to Jesus to today. He he. Has, doesn't change. Therefore, he puts out unchanging principles. So he goes on to say, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. That's always 
kind of throws people for a loop just a little bit. He, I, it is kind of humorous because in other words, he's saying, I, 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 I haven't killed you because I'm nice. I, I, I was nice and I am nice. That's who I am. I'm nice and I haven't killed you. So yeah, come on. <laughs> Sometimes aren't you grateful? I thank you God for not killing me. <laughs> it's just, I prayed that. I prayed that as a thank, thanksgiving prayer to God before. Maybe you haven't, I have. But in verse seven, it goes on to say this. It says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So, so God's talking to his people and he's reminding his people that he doesn't change. He, is, he has never changed before and that he is good. And he's so good that he's not wiped them off the face of the earth. But there's a problem. He's saying generation upon generation keeps turning away from my decrees. And he's saying, I want you to return to me. Return to me, all right? Now, keep, keep going on. He says, but you ask, how are we to return? So this is good. This is, a, this is a good question because they are asking that. So God's people are dialoguing with God in this, in this particular passage. Um, true, they're not honoring God's decrees, uh, but God has not shut them out. I mean, they're, they're still, they're, they, then they've not shut God out. They're still going to church. They'll, they're still singing the songs. They're listening to the sermons. And God is speaking, and now they are hearing, so they therefore are replying. And basically they're saying, if we're supposed to return to you, then how are we supposed to do that? Now, this is God's answer. Look at the next verse. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Okay, this is God. This is the God who cannot change, who's speaking. Uh, if, I, if I were just to ask you straight up, would you rob God? You guys would say, I know everyone. You say, no way. There is no stinking way I would ever do that. <laughs> I understand. But God said, in this, in this case, he's saying, but you have robbed me. Now, Watch, because you're going to get a very natural, normal response to that question. He says, but you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, when he says you are cursed, he does not say, I have cursed you. Some people may teach this and say, God's going to curse you. And that is not true. That's that's not true. That's, that's not true. Don't go there. He's saying you are under a curse. Now, what is the definition of a curse in the, in the, uh, uh, in the Old Testament? A curse basi- basically means this. In this particular phrase, it means a consequence for a behavior. It's simply a consequence for a behavior. It's a curse. Um, we tend to think of a curse as something like supernatural, like some people doing some witchcraft and stuff like that, and they do that. Those curses bounce off of us because of the blood of Jesus. But you can put yourself under a curse, which is a consequence for your behavior. Now, he's saying you're robbing me. And you put yourself under a curse. And I don't want you to be under a curse. And I, I, I want to open the windows of heaven over you. I want to bless you. I want to rebuke Satan for the way that he's messed with you. But the ball is in your court. And here, here's the principle right here. We place ourselves under a curse when we do not tithe. Yeah, that's the Bible. That's, that's the Bible. And God doesn't want us to be cursed. He, he just says you're voluntarily placing yourself under this curse. So in other words, there are negative consequences for your behavior. But when we tithe, here's the other principle. When we tithe, <laughs> we are blessed like Abraham, our spiritual father. Now, going back to Melchizedek, Melchizedek, who is the type and the shadow of Jesus, he blessed Abraham as he tithed. And in the same way, scriptures tell us that Jesus blesses us when we tithe. Malachi chapter three, verse nine, look at this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this of the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Again, who's talking here? The Lord Almighty, the God who does not change ever. 
But I want to break that part down just a little bit more because I do know, and when I, when I teach this, I, I do like to, to explain it because there can be some questions. What do some of those words mean in there? Well, first of all, he talks about the storehouse. He talks about my house and the storehouse as one and the same. And what does that refer to? Well, scripturally, through many other scriptures in the Bible, that refers to the local church. It's the place where you receive ministry. It's the community that you receive ministry from. So again, if you are visiting here today, you're part of a another congregation, do not tithe here. That belongs to the place where you're being fed. Uh, My house refers to the place of worship. Uh, So the tithe, therefore, he says the tithe goes to, to make sure that there is food in my house. Now, our brains may think, okay, so, so there's going to be, um, snacks and food, you know, great. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, How does that play into everything? Well, I want you to think about this. And you might say, oh, that's the banquet tonight. That's why we're doing the banquet tonight. No, no, that's, that's not it, all right? Think about it this way. When you come to church, what are you receiving? You're receiving, actually, spiritual food. That's what the Bible calls it. And I hope you enjoy it. I mean, I hope it actually is beneficial to you. Because when we take it and we drink it in, it does change us and it makes us healthy. But I want to ask you a question. Are you spiritually nourished by the food that you get at City Life Church? And if you are, please understand this. Someone is paying for it. I mean, it's just, that's just, that's just the truth. And when I say food, I'm not just talking about the sermons. I'm talking about everything that we have, which is our, our outreach, our benevolence, the cushy chairs you get to sit in here, uh, toilets that work, a clean place, uh, children's ministry, the lights and the air conditioning or the heating, whichever one that you like the best. I like the air conditioning all the time, but, but that's, what the, that's what it is. It's our outreach ministries. So, so I have a question for you. If, um, if you were to leave church here today and you were to go to a restaurant, let's say you're, uh, let's pick a good restaurant here in downtown. What's, what's your favorite restaurant in downtown? And the lights go out. When the lights go down in the city. That's what happens when an ADD person preaches. You know, all of a sudden I am singing journey songs. Are we okay? We didn't go offline or anything? Okay. I think the guys are testing me. All right. When the lights go down. Okay. So what is a favorite restaurant of yours? That's why I keep notes. What is a favorite restaurant of yours here in downtown? Come on, some name, name something. Blue Sushi. That's the one that I heard. Right down the the road, wonderful place for sushi. Wonderful atmosphere. Oh, it is such a good. Now, would you go to Blue Sushi and enjoy the food and the service and then just walk out without paying your bill? Of course not. You you wouldn't. But, and I'm not meaning this to demean anyone, but that happens here every single week. It does. Why? The why is good. It's because we don't charge. We're not, we will never put a price tag on the gospel. So we do not charge, thank God for that. Uh, but so, but if you're gonna try to run a business that way, you would have a little bit of a difficulty doing that where you're gonna offer goods and services to people and just like, you know, if you feel like giving something, great, go ahead, that, that would be great to do. See, that business model would not sustain itself. Some people might be happy to help you up front, but after a while, they're not gonna be helping you anymore, all right? And that's why the church, we, this church, we're not a business. We are actually a kingdom ministry. And so, so there is a huge difference there. So when we do this, we're giving not only to the, to the ministry, but we're actually giving to the Lord. And it's amazing. It's amazing to me what we see here in Malachi chapter three. Basically, it's this. And, and, and I don't want you to get this. If you get anything else, just get this. If I tithe, I am blessed. If I don't tithe, I'm cursed. And I'm smiling while I'm saying it because I'm not trying to say anything mean. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And it is truth. Now, <laughs> kind of look between the two. Blessed, cursed. Hmm, which one am I going to choose? You know, according to the Bible, the first part of every paycheck in our world belongs to the Lord. And I know some of you might think, well, the, the first part of my paycheck always goes to, to uh, my American Express or something like that. But, but you know, the question is, does that have the power to bless your future? Does it have the power to bless your finances? It's like, well, I get points. Okay, stop it. Just stop it right there. 
God does, and he's not going to give you points, all right? God has the power to bless your finances. So what does the tithe mean? T-I-T-H-E. It's a word we don't use very much today, but it simply means a tenth. It's really simple. It's a penny out of a dime. That's it. And it doesn't matter whether you earn 30000 a year or 300000 a year. It's the same. It's fair for every person and it's equal. And, that, and, and so when you give that tenth to the Lord, that other 90% is left over. And I can tell you the truth from my own personal life. I heard it all my life for a long time and I know it is true. That God can do more with that 90% that is blessed than 100% that is not blessed. Because the faithful he blesses and the unfaithful put themselves under a curse. So we practice tithing. The first 10% of my income is the tithe and that is given to Jesus. In fact, uh, you should have a stewardship plan for your life. I, I hope that you do. I hope you have a budget, but but uh, every year when I teach on this, I like to share that we do have a stewardship strategy here at City Life Church as well. We have a wonderful board that works with me on this. And, but how we, how we handle our finances as an organization, really, it's, it's three, three, three ways. First of all, we have a budget, and uh, this is income and expenses. So there's a plan. There's a budget. We project what the income will be, and we project what the expenses will be, and then we live by it, even when it's hard. And sometimes it has been hard. We'll have to find a way to live within those boundaries, just like your home does. Uh, and, and what that means sometimes, though, as a church, is, is that we, there, there can be a lot of good causes out there, a lot of really good causes, but biblical financial stewardship says we should, we should see, does that really work into our, the, the plan that we have, the, the plan that we have set up through our budget? So, you should have your own personal budget as well. The second part of our stewardship philosophy here at our church is we challenge to give scripturally, but we will not manipulate. That is very important to me. Having been raised in church, uh, I, I, I really very seldom ever saw manipulation, but I have seen it. I have seen it. And, and there's, uh, there's nothing more uncomfortable than and just obnoxious of being in a service where you're feeling manipulated. Some of you know, some of you have been there before and you, you know how that feels and, and uh, we're not gonna do that. I don't like to be manipulated and I know you don't either. Uh, that's why I like our church. We do not say, now, if you tithe for the first five weeks of this year, you get a money back guarantee. That's right. All you have to do is give five offerings in the tithes and if it doesn't work out for you, then you get all your money back. Hey, that, come on. I said, but that's a cool concept. Great, do that with your business. I'm not gonna do that with the kingdom because I just don't, that's, that's manipulation. Uh, we're not gonna threaten people. We're not, we don't intimidate. In fact, we're not gonna put the names of all the tithers up there on the screen so that we, we can all applaud or give them a special wall. We can hang plaques with their names on them and because, because it's important to me that we minister to everyone equally and the ministry goes to all people. And, and so it's, it's not about what you give. So we simply challenge based upon the scriptures. It's not manipulative. And the third part is of our strategy is to be a giver. And that is corporately as a church and personally as well. I'm a giver. And what that means is that as a tither, I'm not going to control my tithe. I give my tithe with no conditions attached. That, that, that's actually the Lord's tithe. So there's, there's no conditions attached to that. Now, there are times where there are opportunities for extra giving and, and projects and other things like that. And, with, and, to, and, and even give to some people who have individual needs. And that, great, that's where you can control where, where it goes. Uh, I, I like to do this. I set up my tithing on, on automated, automated giving. It's very convenient. <laughs> and, and I set that up to come out of my bank account on a Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, it's, I've already tithed. I've already got my little email or whatever. And, and then Sunday morning comes around and then I'm freed up to give any additional way that God should move in my heart to give. And sometimes it's for a specific cause or a specific challenge or whatever. But see, 
We do the same as a church. We give, we give corporately. We give according to our budget. We give according to the scriptures. As a church, we plant seed, knowing that that seed will produce a harvest. There are people who are touched by the ministry of this church that we will never see until eternity, but we are planting seed in other nations. We're planting seed here in the community. We're planting seed constantly. And you know, I also just, every time I I think about this, I have to thank God for the people who had faith for this building right here. How a crew of people came in here and gutted this building from top to bottom, gutted this place out and rebuilt it similar to the way you see it right now. And they sacrificed. And I'm grateful for their sacrifice. Because of their sacrifice, we enjoy things today. Seed has been planted. And here's something that's that's beautiful. I just believe this. I, I I don't know if I can prove it scripturally, but I believe that every time a person gets saved, that the people who invested in this even years ago, there will be a blessing for them in heaven. I really believe that. I really believe that. Now, even with this building, I, I, I took a look at our, at our building note just yesterday because it came in the mail, so I didn't have a chance. I, I can't help but look at it, but, but we still owe $511,582 on this, this property. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's just that's part of the burden that we carry, but uh, we're grateful that we don't owe $2 million, which is the value of the property. And your giving is like a seed, Your giving is like a seed for the people who will be coming in next week. Your giving is like a seed for your children and your grandchildren who are being raised up within this church who are going to do great exploits for God. So I want to encourage you with that. On the back of your, in front of your seats or on the back of that little clip in front of you, there's a little card. I'm going to ask every one of you just to pull it out. Just reach down, pull it out. And it says, my generosity stance. Go ahead and take this card. There should be a pin attached to to it as well. My generosity stance for 2023. And, and, I, and if, if you're a part of this church, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. And I fill this out every single year. Maybe it's to start giving. That's the first level. I, I'm going to start giving. You can check that off. The second is I'm going to start giving and I'm going to tithe 10%. Maybe that's where he is, or I'm going to give above the tithe. Just put your name, email, phone number. That helps me to <clears throat> just be back in touch with you, to thank you for your honesty and your commitment. And, and then, you know, another thing is this, these aren't spread out to everybody. You know, the ushers aren't looking at who filled this out or who didn't. And all this stuff comes to me, and really, it's, a, it, it's for me, an opportunity for me to pray for you. In fact, on the back, if you have any prayer needs, I encourage you to, to write that as well because I'm going to, in just a few minutes, we're going to receive our offerings. And, and when the offering baskets pass, just drop this little card in there. And I'll see these later today. <clears throat> but before we go any further, I want to pray. I want to pray for you because I, I know our congregation. I, I know you guys. And I know some of you are going through some really tough financial situations. I know you are. Some of you are, then I don't even, and I'm not even aware of it. But we live in a world that is where, you know, where we have to have money in the bank to, to do certain things, don't we? We really do. And this is the world that, this is the, the culture, the world that God has placed us into. And I want to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your finances. And a lot of times I, I don't necessarily do that. You can receive prayer at the front during our times of worship. But today, I want to pray for finances. I want to have faith. You see, I want to have faith for your finances just like I want to have faith for the church's finances. I really do. Because I want to see this church be able to be blessed and to be a greater blessing. I want to pray. Some of you, you're you're business owners and your business is just really, really struggling financially. I want to pray pray for that. I want to pray for your business. I want to pray for your homes. <clears throat> so while you fill that out, can I just pray for you right now? In fact, this just would you just be bold enough to lift your hand up and say, yeah, I, I need that prayer. I really need that prayer. Just lift your hand up all across the room. There's nothing, 
nothing wrong with that. Good, good, good. Thank you. Good. You can put your hands down. I'm connecting my faith with those hands. I don't want to pray. God, first of all, I want to thank you that you are our provider. You love your children, and you do not want us to lack any good thing. So, Lord, I pray for provision. I pray for miraculous provision. God, if there, if there are any settlements that need to happen, God, let them come through and let them be amazing. Just mysterious gifts or money coming, checks that come in the mail, and not the loan checks, the real ones. God, I, I pray that you'll cause businesses to expand and grow miraculously and that those businesses will be a conduit for the gospel and a blessing to the kingdom of God. And I pray for those who are on fixed incomes. God, I know that you can provide outside of that and I pray that you will. And just as the scriptures said that you will even, like in Malachi where it says that you will keep the, 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 the diseases away from the, the crops and, and you'll keep the, you, you'll, you'll protect our assets. God, I ask that you will do that for us as well. God, I pray that some cars that are just flat out broken down will hold together. <laughs> They'll hold together. God, I, I know that's happened to me a few times where just praying for you to hold together that old car that didn't know what it was going to do. And then I finally get myself another car and next day that old car breaks down for good. I have to get it towed away. But God, you, you hold those things together. I pray for you to keep our homes and our houses in working order. Um, that uh, the places where we live will not decay to be surrounded by blessing and glory. You'll protect us from, from termites and hailstorms. You'll, you'll, you'll keep equipment in our homes from breaking down. You'll give us also the wisdom to know how to deal with it and how to respond when things happen and the wisdom to find good people to help us with home repairs. All of these things, God, I know that your scriptures are clear that you will do this for us as we tithe. So, Lord, I ask for that for your people. And, God, I want to take this to another level. I want to pray for our church, this church financially. I thank you, God, that you have sustained us through our years, through the ups and the downs. You have carried us, and you have always worked miracles. And I pray that you will continue to do so, and that you will continue to bless the finances of this church, and that, that there will continue to, there will be growth, God, there will continue to be growth, and that, that we'll be able to do so much more than we're able to do right now, because of the generosity of God's people as it flows through this house so that there will be food in your house. There will be seed that will be planted and there will be children and grandchildren raised up in this church that will shake the nations. We pray for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org. 